yesterday, someone asked me, how am I feeling? And I paused like I usually do whenever someone asks me this question to check in with myself and to find the right words. But at that point, all I could say is that I don't want to diminish what I'm feeling to words. At that moment, I didn't feel that I could find the words to describe how I feel. And that is the topic of our conversation today. Welcome to the episode of On Emergence, a podcast on what it takes to be a human being. This episode is being recorded in Guatemala in a small town called San Marcos. So in case you hear some strange noises on the background, it's probably roosters or dogs or some traffic outside. So now with that heads up, I'd love to introduce today's topic, and it is talking about language. There are many fascinating parts about language, and one in particular is that the anthropologists, linguists, and cognitive scientists, they're still unable to pinpoint the exact point of origin. So beautifully, language as a concept, it has evolved, it has emerged from our need to communicate with one another somehow. And still, a lot of our communication to this day and age is nonverbal. So when we're speaking to someone in person, we rely on certain body cues. We rely on the changes in the tone of their language rather than the words themselves. And that is one of the really interesting aspects about language is that we don't know where it came from. It evolved. It evolved based on feeling. And it also evolved based on the surrounding environment that a certain tribe, a certain nation has been living. And that dictated how people communicate to each other. For example, taking an example from the Amazon forest, there is a tribe and a language known as Piraha, and they rely on a mix of sounds, including whistles to communicate at first distances. Their language is lacking the concept of I and is highly dependent on context. So they're focusing on the verbs primarily more than on abstract concepts. So that focus on the verbs invites the focus on action. Who you are as a human being, what defines you right now is the verb, is the action that you do. So you only exist and extrapolating that is the existence then extrapolates from action. So whatever you do defines you. It's not based on the label when we say, I'm a nurse or I'm a podcast host, I am a sister, I'm a mother, but you can define yourself by the action. And there's another beautiful concept that was introduced to me a few years ago, and it's called a prime. And it is a form of English language that doesn't contain the verb to be. And it's a really interesting exercise that I did with myself. So for example, to describe something, whether it's your day or what you do for a living or how are you feeling without the verb to be. For example, I'm not going to say I am feeling sad or I am sad. I would say I have sadness or I feel sadness. And then they notice how the verb changes the feeling behind the sentence. Another example would be to say I am a nurse. To rephrase it would be to say what I do for a living is I care for people in a hospital. So that defines your action rather than who you are. And then not being constrained by the labels, we're then inviting 
the exploration of who we are through verbs. Another beautiful concept is contextual-based language and contextual-based understanding of one another. Chinese has a word, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce it, and I apologize for that in advance, wo. And it both means I and we. And in order to understand what, whether the person is talking about themselves or they're talking about more than them as themselves as an individual or they're talking about themselves as a group, it is highly dependent on context. So you need to understand the entire situation, the context around it in order to understand the other person. And that also invites a different type of listening, a different type of perception and understanding and a different type of understanding where you're at because you need to explain where you are contextually in order to convey that this is you are talking about rather than you as part of the group. So in that sense, the entire concept needs to be conveyed. It invites a certain type of listening as well. And that concept also came across in Dutch. As part of my living in the Netherlands for the last six years, I've learned Dutch. Oh, I learned some Dutch. And as another Germanic language, their verb is being placed at the end of the sentence. And it means that you can, sometimes you cannot understand what the person really means until you listen through entire sentence, which is a very different way of how people in English and Spanish or in French are communicating. You can embark on the discovery of your own thought in the way and in the process as you're speaking. So speaking can be an exploration of thought, an exploration of your own psyche, as you're speaking through it, when you open your mouth, you may not know what you're going to end up saying because you don't need to hold an entire thought in your head, this verb that you need to place at the end of the sentence. So when a Dutch person speaks, they need to know what is it that they need and want to say at that moment because they need to hold that verb that they will be placing at the end of the sentence. So they cannot say, they cannot start speaking without knowing what is it that they want to say. So a thought should be fully formed in order for the person to be able to say it. This is very also very interesting because a lot of the concept in psychoanalysis and psychology came from German. So this kind of shaped abstract concepts comes from the language that invites this definition of thought before it leaves your mouth. I find it fascinating and it definitely, as in my own journey of learning Dutch, it reshaped some of the ways that I think before I start speaking. Even when I'm speaking English, that where the syntax is completely different, I, I began thinking more before I speak. And at the same time, I'm aware of certain constraints that come with it because you need to know what is it that you want to say. So if I was fully constrained by this, I would not be able to embark upon the self-exploration, let's say, that I do through my therapy or the exploration of thought when I'm speaking to friends. I don't need to have a full idea in my mind, a fully formed thought before I open my mouth. And then on the other hand, what it does invite is a different type of listening, is a contextual-based listening as well as listening to the person to finish that thought. So... <laughs> I sometimes joke that it is impossible to interrupt a Dutch person. They will still remember the thought because they need to finish their entire thought. And even when they're speaking in English, it is exactly the same way. Even 
I understand from what is it that they want to say, because the verb in English, it would come at the beginning of the sentence. The entire thought, they would want to finish the entire thought. So even if I interrupt a Dutch person, if I interrupt my Dutch friend, they would still pick up where they left and finish the thought where they left off before I interrupted them. I find it really beautiful. I find it a very interesting and very useful way to think about your thoughts. And it's one of the toolboxes that I myself deploy. It's like I hold this thought. I do it a lot less than um, than my Dutch friends. But this is something that was taught to me as part of learning another language. And this is another thing that people listening to this podcast who can speak more than one language would able to maybe right now, if you weren't aware before, appreciate certain ways and certain differences in thinking that you have when you speak a different language. It invites a different feeling. And often it is quoted that when you are speaking on a di- in a different language, it's almost like you become a slightly different person. I speak Russian. Russian is my mother tongue. And I speak English as fluent as, a, as, fluent as it gets, hopefully. Um, and I also I'm learning Dutch. And I noticed that there is that Dutch has an influence on my personality in other languages. And when I'm speaking Dutch, it impacts of how I think. It impacts of how I come across and it shapes my personality. So it's almost right now I have three different personalities. Sometimes, most of the times, I do translate myself from English to other languages, including Russian. So whenever I'm visiting my mom in Kazakhstan, where population speaks Russian, I translate myself from English. And yet I notice that there is a change in personality, a change in emotion in changing how I feel when I speak Russian. And also the words that I use, of course, will dictate of how I feel about them. And that explains my response that I shared at the very beginning of the episode, is that I didn't want to constrain myself to the words that were available to me to convey the complexity of the feeling I was experiencing at the time. And complexity doesn't mean bad. It's just it actually was a beautiful, multifaceted experience is that I couldn't and I didn't want to become a prisoner of my words and put it in this narrow concept of what the linear verbal language is. And that brings us to another concept. It is the linearity of certain languages. English is a prime example of that. You're literally writing it in one line. You're writing it from left to right, and you're conveying your thought in a sequence. You have the subject, verb, object. Sometimes you can interchange them and that's fine, but the entire thought is conveyed in a linear pattern. And that is to compare to some of the Chinese languages, to Japanese, the hieroglyphic-based languages, where including those languages of the past, so for example, Egyptian hieroglyphics or Mesoamerican hieroglyphics. So you need to draw an entire picture and you need to have an entire picture in your brain in order to understand the concept that is being expressed, the complexity of the concept that is being expressed. And yet, due to limitation of how our voice works, is that we're only able to convey it in a linear way. And that brings us to another side of communication, and that is a nonverbal communication, is how we express affection. Because oftentimes, a hug to a loved one can express so much more than the words can tell it is the intensity of a hug. It is the, the pressure of the hand. It is the, the breathing that you notice of the other person. They can tell you so much more 
And at the same time, of course, it invites certain ambiguity of how the person is feeling. Because the person I was speaking to yesterday who asked me that question, I left ambiguity around how I felt and I relied on the feeling to express how I feel. The word saying, I don't want to constrain myself to words to express how I feel in itself conveyed to them a lot more should I have tried to explain in words what, what is it that I was feeling and the way I said it. So sometimes in an argument, you might be saying a certain thing, but you say it in certain, you can say, I love you or I love you. And it conveys a different emotion. Even though the words are the same, the emotion behind the words, behind the phrases is different, which is why watching your intonation and relying also on trusting on what is the tone of the other person and how they're speaking, their body language, if it's something that's available to you. Which is one of the reasons video calls are better than the voice calls because you are able to perceive the other person's body language and their facial expressions a lot better. I shared it in another episode on neurodivergence, is that when I'm speaking to people and when I'm conveying the thoughts myself, I avoid looking at their face because their facial expressions communicate something to me that I feel the need to respond. So if they shudder or if they confer the eyebrow, I notice that and to me is a way of communicating even though it is not communicated in words. So for me, as part of my neurodivergent journey, sometimes I choose not to look at the other person because I'm not ready to perceive the communication from their body language because I need to finish my thoughts. And then another example comes to mind is when I was told by someone that they loved me, I had to cover my face. Because I was very aware that my face would convey so much more that I would later on would probably need to explain to the other person. And I just wanted to be with the feeling of it. I wanted the feeling to really sink in and experience it before I open my mouth, before I reply, before I engage in that, before I let the feeling sink in. So being aware of your own perception behind the language that the verbal language that you speak is a very important way of being a human. It is one of the most important aspects of being a human because it, this is how we communicate, this is how we relate to each other, is through language. And language is a tool. And as one of my friends says, is, one of the, is, is not the perfect tool, it's far from being perfect because when you're talking to another person, you're also relying on the shared mutual understanding behind a certain word. You rely on both of you having similar, if not the same, but at least similar connotations and understanding behind certain words and concepts that you're talking about. So when someone is saying a word relationship, it may mean to them something different, even though the word is the same. They may say that they love you, but the word love, what means to them is different to what it means to you. So in that, it is an invitation to, of course, open discussion of what it means and definition of vocabulary. And at the same time, being acutely aware that the language should not be able to express a feeling and relying on that feeling that you have and, and accepting the ambiguity that comes with it, that comes on relying on the feeling-based communication in addition to language as part of the human experience. 
People often say, trust your feeling, trust your feeling. And that transpires also in how we communicate with one another. So if you are speaking to a friend and they said something in a manner that poses question in your mind, even though what they, even when they replied, I'm fine to your question of how are you feeling, if you hear something behind it that communicates that it's not fine, you can potentially ask whether there's anything more that they'd like to share. And I'm sure you were in this situation yourself, whether being on the receiving end or the person who is replying with, I'm fine, thanks, is that sometimes when we're saying, I'm fine, thanks, we want to be asked, but are you really? Or we don't want to be asked. And in that, we're trying to convey using a very rudimentary tool as a language to express how we feel. And we rely on a linear tool to convey the complex, singular experience of what is it like to be us in that given moment of time. And what I mean by singular is when you're looking, if you ever encountered a hieroglyphics, and if you know anything about linguistics and how hieroglyphics work, is that different strokes can mean different words within this one hieroglyphics, which is why it may look like a, a little painting. So many people choose to, to do it on their body is because those beautiful little paintings, they convey so much more. And in a way that when you look at it, you need to perceive it all at the same time. One of the best examples of that concept of the singularity of language, it is portrayed by one of my favorite movies, The Arrival. And I invite you to watch the movie. It's uh, beautifully made. And the concept behind, behind it is just, it touched me so deeply. And it also drew my attention to how imperfect our human language is because we are relying on something so linear, so rudimentary to express who we really are, whether at any given moment of time or generally of how we are as a human being. We forget about the feeling behind the words that we use. And we forget sometimes, and I invite you to remember the next time, is that the words oftentimes are poor servants to express how you really feel. And you need to engage other ways of communication whether it's changing tone or whether it's changing your body language or whether it's writing a song to someone or painting a beautiful piece of art or a sketch to convey how you feel because there are other ways of communicating and this is an invitation for you to explore them. That language isn't only verbal, that language is a tool of communication, but communication is a way to convey a certain experience. And the way that language has developed has served us up until now. And becoming aware that language, the verbal language, spoken language, may not be a very helpful tool to express of how we feel can be very useful realization that you know the fallibility behind the language that you use. I want to leave you with a beautiful example is how do you feel when you look at a painting? At a painting of a beautiful artist? Or how do you feel while listening to a song? Yes, there are certain words that may stand out to you particularly. There are certain strokes, certain brush strokes on a painting that may speak to you more than the other. But if you focus on the evocation of the feeling and emotion that you experience, you will know what I mean. 
So the next time that you're speaking to a loved one, you're, next time that you want to convey love, next time you want to convey a different emotion, a difficult one, potentially, just remember that verbal and spoken language is not the only way for you to communicate and let the other person know how you really feel. I really hope you enjoyed this exploration of language in today's episode of On Emergence. My name is Laurie Sagan. I'm your host and a fellow human being. If you want to stay in touch, if you have any suggestions, feedback, thoughts, and feelings that you'd like to share, I invite you to do so in the comment section to this podcast. You can subscribe to the channel on YouTube and I invite you to do so. This is a great way to support the podcast. I'm also reachable on Instagram. On Emergence, you can find me there. I'll speak to you soon.